0: Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor
1: Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gelb sein Lied, das mich immer
0: weiter durch die
2: Straßen zieht. Hallo und welkom zu Tegen Pressing, Bundesliga Podcast von the Football Grad Network. Ja, yeah, that's right. Um, I'm hosting today, Manuel Webb here on air for you. Bryce is unfortunately not available um, for us today, so I guess I'm left with his job, but that's okay. I have two really good guests today, as always. Chris Williams joining me. Chris, how are you doing?
3: Uh, Man, I'm very well, thanks. Um, a bit better than Bryce. Um, poor Bryce, if he, when he's listening, I um, hope he's feeling a lot better. Um, I'm tired. Like you, mate, I was very busy, and like John, very busy in the week with European football, so I've been glad for um, a nice weekend.
2: Yeah, it's been a very busy week, hasn't it? And uh, joining us today is John. John, and you were on the road like all of us this week as well, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I was, but fortunately for me, I'm a little bit closer to the places where I was supposed to be, but it still meant that I was doing pretty long shifts for a couple of days in a row. Uh, And by the end of the week, I've come down with a bit of a cold. So um, I've been spending most of this weekend weekend in bed, but fortunately, there's been plenty of good football on for me to watch, so I've been uh, hugging my radiator and watching football. It's pretty hard
2: not to catch a cold at this time of the year when you're in the press box, isn't it? I think people always forget sitting in the press box is not exactly a warm, cushiony job. It's it's open in the air, and you're basically sitting there on a table trying to write. And I had my hands almost fall off Wednesday night in Leipzig, I'll tell you. I bet it wasn't any better in England, was it?
1: It was pretty cold. I like to go, I like to go into the toilets and, and use the hand-dryers at <laughs> half-time and just... Really, really get the blood flowing again. That's My, my other thing is track uh, tracksuit bottoms underneath the jeans.
2: Uh, Secret tip, I wear ski gear. Now, if you want to see an example of ski gear used, our friend Archie has it down.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> all the way with goggles, I want to give a shout out to him. Uh, two goggles, and he still bikes to the uh Stadion in Köln and got to watch the game, but there was actual snow on the, on the press table, so I'm glad I didn't do that game. But yeah, guys, um, we we have to talk about European football. And it, it was a cold night in Munich, too. Uh, Bayern playing against PSG. And that was maybe... You know, we talked about quite a bit about this game, right, John? And whether or not this was actually important. And we had sort of this... There was some sort of this feeling outside of Munich that this game wouldn't matter too much to them. But of course, in Munich that feeling was very different. And you saw that on the pitch, didn't you, on Tuesday, where they were very dominant and um, came close to really this large PSG from that first spot.
1: Yeah, I think it was an interesting fixture for so many different reasons. I mean, as as, as we said already, I I described this fixture as a a bit of a win-win, really, for for Bayern, despite the fact that obviously, as you said, the fans wouldn't have seen it that way. Um, But I think it it was really indicative of, of actually how... Bad Bayern had been under Ancelotti, or how much he had lost them, uh, and it was good to see the, the, the team come out, put in a big dominant performance, and actually show the rest of the, uh, of, the of the tournament just how beatable PSG are. Um, and for me, that that's what it is. You know, everyone looks at their front three uh, and gets very very uh, nervous, and rightly so because they've got a very very good three. But we all know that uh, neither Neymar nor I guess Cavani are really tracking back as much as you would expect your front line to do, and so it means that actually huge amounts of space is opened uh, huge huge amounts of space opened up for the in the game for Bayern. I think it was it was interesting interesting seeing Kingsley Coman uh, take on I think it was Dani Alves uh, down down the wing for one of the goals, ghosted past him, and then he was just in absolutely acres of space, um, and there was no danger that, that anyone was going to stop the, the goal from going in. So I think. You know, everyone everyone likes to talk about this PSG front three, but I don't think that they're going to be able to win the Champions League with that front three. They're going to have to drop one of them uh, and see see that place for someone slightly more defensive. And the only person I can see them doing that with is, I suppose Cavani. But again, um, I I can't see you and I, Emery having the having the wherewithal to be able to do that. I don't think he's particularly popular at at the moment at PSG. So it'll be interesting to see. What they do going forward, but yeah, it was good. It was good to see the PSG are beatable. Uh, it's not just going to be uh, a shower going into the into the knockout stages. So yeah, I'm really looking forward now to the knockout stages after that game in particular.
2: There's an interesting one for me to follow from Munich, of course, you know, and uh, in the city and the, the feeling around the city, and it was interesting hearing some of the commentaries. Oliver Kahn, of course, said, um put his neck out of out of the window and saying they're not going to win. The Champions League than this PSG. They're not going to win the Champions League with this side. Um, big bold statement. I can see where he's coming from with it, but I think there was also the sense that that they maybe left something in this game, um, that Bayern could have maybe won this game 4-1 or 5-1, or maybe if they had been a bit better coming out of the dressing room in the second half, not concede that goal by Mbappe, and uh, win this game 4-0 and the other interesting aspect was at half time, Una Emery, of course, was in the, uh, in the, the dressing room, right? As coaches always do, but I uh, saw so the president of PSG and, um, as the game progressed, the, there's a door that, that opens up, that you have to open up for the players to come, uh, from the basement onto the field at the Allianz Arena. And they had to leave it open because Una Emery, right? No, Una Emery was in the dressing room after kickoff to the second half for about five minutes. And, um, there was a joke that made around the Allianz Arena that he's just found out from the president that he got fired. Um, of course, it wasn't quite that traumatic, but you got a real sense that at that very moment, um, PSG was really coming apart. And that, that was really something interesting. And what I find really interesting is that, um, uh, Bayern didn't use that moment a bit more because I felt that second half, they, they could have played, they could have really gotten for that response. Old and maybe beaten PSG by even a bigger margin, and that is that is quite something. And I, I you know, I wonder, Chris, this Bayern side, um, is Heinkes getting that that last little bit out of them before they finally, you know, have to usher in a new era. It feels like they all of a sudden they're moving as a unit again. They're playing very much the same kind of style of official football they did back in 2013. Can we see Bayern replicate? What did it did under the the last time around
3: oh, can they go all the way? Not hundred per cent sure on that, but for this match, I thought they were they were excellent, and I think the key battle for me was the midfield with Rudy Taliso and rodriguez um I thought that that triangle uh, it was almost uh, it was almost very attacking for if you look at p s g s lineup they had uh, rabio drop back with Draxler and Verratti and and that was almost inverted, whereas Bayern was an arrowhead with um, Ribery and Comin at the side, and obviously Lewandowski at point, front point. Uh, and I, that's when looking back on the game, because obviously John and I were in uh, Stamford Bridge for Chelsea Atletico, we were covering that game. Uh, when looking back on the highlights, for me, that's where the the game seemed to be, one was in the middle of the field, and as you were saying, and Oliver can't said he don't think PSG could go on and win the trophy, I, I believe that they can't as well. Just think that they don't have exactly what it takes in the midfield. A lot of games have won and lost in the midfield, and I think this one was won and lost um, for you know for both sides in the middle. Um, and I thought Rodriguez was very good until he went off, um, you know, late on, and that was a good sign. But um, also, uh, you know, Talisso, had a great game as well. But um, Lewandowski, it's, it's just that that spine and that central part. I thought they were better than PSG and it showed. And I think you're right, man. Looking back, it could have been uh, a lot more. I think Bayern could have made an even bigger statement. Probably not on the same statement that we saw Liverpool make the night after with a 7-0. Uh, but it could have been four or five. No, no problem.
2: Yeah, and that would have been a massive statement. I, I personally don't think it's just the midfield, Chris. It's also defense. Danny Alves, as good of a football he was once. Um, there was shades of his Brazil 7-1 performance. Um, Against Germany, you know that that back line has the tendency to when they when they, when they fall apart at PSG, they really seem to fall apart really badly. And um, I almost wonder if they, they lack the discipline to shut out opposition. I mean, we all remember what happened to them of course against Barcelona, right? Um, first time in history that a side gave away a five-one lead in the second leg, um, even though they had scored themselves. So it's... It's weird. This is PhD side is is really odd to me and I think they they were really fortunate in the in the first leg to to hit Bayern at a time when Bayern was completely falling apart. And uh Heinke had has them going. River Re was another one who I thought was really excellent. You point out with figures I thought he was really, really great as well. So he has them really going, but that's this really begs the question, right? I mean we've seen midweek following the game in the papers that Bayern are now have narrowed down the, the list of candidates for, um, for coaches to replace him because he is going, basically going to leave after the end of the season, and we now know the list, and it uh, on that list with some interesting names. Some of them, one of them who we think is probably going to get the job, but uh, Tuchel, Klopp, Fonseca from um from Schachter- Schachter. Donetsk, right? Yeah, and Niko Kovac. Joachim Löw, Arsene Wenger, which I thought is really odd, but he's a German speaking coach, so I guess that's why he he, he made that list. And um, yeah, those, those those are all favorites to, to get that position. And um, I think it's probably going to be Thomas Buchel, Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, we're going to talk about Dortmund in a moment, but that appears that he's headed that way. So he he's basically gone off that list now. But um, yeah, I mean, John, you saw Fonseca. Uh, do you think he is someone who could take the Bayern job? I mean, I personally think it's still going to be Thomas Tuchel, but you know, you've seen Fonseca like play against Manchester City. What's your take on that rumor?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, Paolo Fonseca is is the trendy person to talk about these days in in European football, partly because he's uh, out in Ukraine and he's he's done really good things with with Shakhtar. I think he'll be a good manager, of, of course, but I think and I think this may be a theme for the, some sort of conversations we're going to have in the rest of this podcast, but the question is how do you know whether or not a, a manager like that is going to be able to slot into a team with the sort of expectations that Bayern have, and, and as we're going to talk later, Dortmund have. Um, and I would be very, interesting, very interested to see how, how Fonseca would fit in. I, I think the thing that stands in good stead for Fonseca is the fact that his the team that he's playing at the moment, um, at Shakhtar is playing in a similar sort of uh, formation to, to Bayern. They play at 4-2-3-1 uh, and I think one reason why why Henkers has, has done so well is because he's come in and just gone back to basics for Bayern. They have the players to play at 4-2-3-1. one they have uh, able to br- bring out the best in Thomas Müller uh, playing in that way uh, and so for me if Fonseca into Bayern Munich would be a fairly fairly uh, sensical shift it would, it would make a huge amount of sense. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right that he he he's the sort of outlier um favorite, the one that everyone kind of wants to see happen, but doesn't really think that there's any chance that it will
2: yeah i i I think personally i still still think it's going to be Thomas Tuchel. but uh Chris, another name on that list, and uh, that name on the list, Nico Kowach, he faced Bayern on Saturday and he Frankfurt did a very good job against Bayern. you know Bayern don't like to play in Frankfurt, and I think we saw on Saturday why?
3: Yeah, and he would be. He's an, he's a, he's a good coach, and he's another one who's who's able to get the way that German teams play, and he's been able to do that. And Frankfurt had some real trouble last season, didn't they? At one part, they were going exceptionally well, and they sort of fell off a bit. But but I think that was very much to do with the players they had out injured at the time. Um And Kovac was able to turn that around in the end. But would he be able? Would he be good enough for a Bayern job? I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's a massive step up, isn't it? to go from Eintracht Frankfurt um, to Bayern Munich, the expectation, not just in Germany, but uh, in in the European competition, would be a massive level. I don't quite know if he would be suited for them for me.
2: Yeah, and he plays a very aggressive style of football. So its I think he's an interesting coach, but hes I think he's still someone who's coming a little bit... um, He's still trying to develop himself into his style of football, right? And it's not quite refined yet. So I think he needs time. Um, and that comes, that brings us really to the next coach the, the next topic, because time is something that Lars Hartenhütte has claimed for himself, because he was another one on the list, but he's taken himself off. Um, quite outspoken about it, actually, saying that he's not ready yet for, for Bayern. And the reason he says he's not ready yet for Bayern is because he is not, his, his team, RB Leipzig, in the Champions League, still showed too much immaturity in a way. He, his side have, have not been able to, um, play the sort of football in Europe that he wants them to play. And he says, like, he obviously lacks the maturity to coach a team like Bayern at this moment. He still needs to refine his own game and he needs time to actually develop, develop his style of football and make it work in both Europe and in Germany within one season. Now, John, that's a pretty mature thing to say from a coach, right? I mean, Ralf Hardenhüttel is one of the most exciting coaches in Germany say like, well, no, I'm actually not ready for Bayern. I, I have a job to do here and I actually don't think I... Uh, it wasn't just my team's immaturity that got us out of the championship, but it was actually also my coaching style.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a manager say anything approaching that before, really. I think most managers uh, adopt this this mantra that, you know, every every opportunity should be taken with both hands because you don't know when another opportunity like that is going um, is going to come up. And that's certainly the that's Certainly the line that Peter Sturger has taken um, I do think that there's an element to which you know some of these some of these coaches who play high intensity pressing football um there is a question as to how well they would fit in at a team like Bayern, uh, a team at like Bayern which is used to having really elite players in almost every position um, and and you know the same sort of thing that we're saying about p s g if you're if you're going to uh, if you're going to adopt a, a gagan pressing style a high press um, which requires a huge amount of intensity, and a huge amount of teamwork, and a huge amount of commitment from all the members of your team. It's hard to come into these bigger clubs and and expect the the same sort of response. I can't imagine, for example, Neymar, Cavani, Mbappe necessarily being able to to to, to uh, slot into that kind of system. And I think there's probably questions about whether or not you would be able to get the same sort of uh, commitment out of some of the uh, the Bayern players as well. So I think uh, that that also raises questions about whether or not Klopp would be um, particularly uh, effective manager at Bayern. Um, there's also, I think, the, uh, the the aspect that a lot of these um, managers who play that kind of football almost have a bit of a punk um, attitude to football, you know, this sort of underlying um, underdog element to their game, um, maybe off the beaten track a little bit. And you see that with someone like Diego Simeone as well. His football... Um, called, uh, that's called charisma Football, this, that's, this idea that you're sort of the underdogs, you you battle away as, as hard as you can because team, a team can take uh, a result from, a small team can take a result from a bigger team just through sheer force of will and and tactics. And I wonder whether or not that would mean that both Hasenhutl and Klopp might, m- might not fit in particularly well somewhere like uh, Bayern.
2: You know, there's another element to this though, John, because I think that RB Leipzig don't really want to play. They don't want to play as the underdog. They want to be, as an image, they want to be not seen necessarily like Bayern, but um, RB, of course. I mean, now the company Red Bull stands for success, right? And everything that Masterships has done in in any any sport, really, that he's been involved in is that he wants to have that fresh take, that um, not hipster, but, you know, Rock star kind of quality to all the sports teams that he has, but the one thing that always stands out, be it Formula One, be it ice hockey, be it soccer, uh, be it all these other sports um, that that he's involved in, is success, right? Winning, um, and that's that's not too dissimilar to Bayern. It's it's a bit bit different because it's you want to do it in in a very much more aggressive kind of way, um, but I almost wonder. Um, if that kind of, with him saying he doesn't want to go necessarily Bayern yet, it's because he does he's not happy with the way Leipzig have played. Um, his, his brand of football that he wants to show, uh, and it's it's. And in the Champions League, and I, I was there on Wednesday, and I thought that Leipzig by far were a better team. They were way better than Besiktas. Um, individually as talent, these players were were far better, but there was a lack of maturity. Um get the job done and I mean this is something that we have lamented from the likes of Dortmund for example but also a bit with Leipzig and you see it in the in the big games in particular where they're just not ready yet and I, I almost wonder if that's also you know we have to remember four years ago the side was still playing in, in the third division in Germany right mm-hmm. so you, it, it's a big step but you know you almost wonder if there if there's an element to that and that Hasnett was just a, realize that, well, here I can I can play the football I want, I can grow something, I can grow myself as a personality, but I'm also not quite ready yet. with The product that I want to develop here at RB is not ready yet, so maybe I'm not ready yet to leave. And I mean, Chris, that is, that is a big part of developing as a coach, right? Now, Hartenhüttel is, we met Hartenhüttel, we listened to his press conference, he's a quite a mature personality, like someone who's really grounded.
3: Yeah, he was, especially you know the I think it was the second to last match day last season, wasn't it, against Bayern? When yeah, you know, I think it was majority again that let that lead slip, and you know eventually they didn't get the result that they were after, and you know that was a remarkable game. But in this instance, I think he perhaps doesn't need to be as harsh on himself. If we look at another European new team this season, which was Hoffenheim, Nagelsmann was very, and I say, immature tactically, and, and I don't say that as as regards to his age. I mean, he was just immature with his tactics the way he approached the um playoff and then also in the Europa League as well. And you don't get that overnight in European football. So Ralph Hasenhuttle, you know, it's the first time he's been in Europe with RB Leipzig, and this is a real learning opportunity for them. And if you look at the players he's got in the team, you know you've got Timo Werner who's exceptional talent, but He's never played in European competition before. Um You've got Nabikata. you've got Campbell, who has got a little bit of experience, but he's not got that much experience. You've got um, Dame at the back, Orban, um, Isangna, uh, you know, Galashy's in goal as well. So throughout the team, there is, as you said, there's a lot of talent and you saw that in the game, but there isn't a lot of European experience or European knowledge. So I think sometimes we can see this, especially the last few years with Bayern and Dortmund and even Schalke to some extent when they were in the Champions League and probably true extent with Bayer Leverkusen as well, is that you need to be able to win ugly sometimes in the Champions League. You need to be able to go away from home and grind out a 1-0, a really boring 1-0 win. Um, or likewise, you need to go away and just grind out a 0-0 draw. And at home sometimes, you need because it's a Champions League, you're not going to be able to play this high-pressing, high-football continuously, you're going to have to play awful European football in the group stages, that just grinds you through um, and we see that from some of the you know, the best teams, look at Real Madrid, they don't play exciting football all the time they know how to sit a game out, they know how to sit back, and they know how to grind out a 1-0 win occasionally when it needs them and I think that's what's missing from uh, Leipzig and Hutler at the moment it's just that experience and I'm sure he's now he's going to stay at Leipzig and Leipzig are second in the table and we all expect them to qualify again for the Champions League next season. I would, I would say I can't see them not um, qualifying from the position they're in now, but he will be able to take on all the experience that he's gained from this season, from the group stages, um, and take them on. And, and, and don't forget, um, you know, they, they've fallen into a very high competition now. You know, the Europa League has just been populated with fantastic teams that have just fallen out of the Champions League. So, They'll be able to get some more European experience when the new year comes, when the football comes back after the the European break. And I think he'll learn a lot from this season and and be Leipzig in Europe will be a different prospect next season. And I believe that for Hoffenheim um, as well, whether uh, Nagelsmann's there or not, the players that will be left there will have European experience that they can build upon. So I think he's probably been a little bit harsh on himself there.
2: Yeah, it's interesting though, because you get that. Reaction. Um, I was there, of course, against, uh, Mines for the game that they, in my opinion, they threw away. Um, they were so comfortable against Mines for lead. Of course, there was a lot of VAR trouble, and I want to talk about VAR in just a moment as well, um, before we get to the really big topic. But, um, I, I feel that sometimes they just don't get the job done. And this, this is something that you, you point all these things out, Chris. This is, this is all mentality. Um, the maturity and, you know, age. I mean, the, the biggest star, Timo Werner is 21 now, I believe, right? Um, we forget that because he seems been around for such a long time, but he's, you he, sometimes you just notice that, uh, that, that lack of maturity with the side. But at the same time, you know, at the press conference when, when, when Hartnoll spoke of the Champions League games, like, well, we're in the Europa League now and we're going to try to win it. And I mean, that is is quite a statement as well, right? This is their first European season and they're going to go straight for the silverware. And I mean, there is I think the way they are playing football, if they are finally able to to get results on the road, because this is really what what hurt them at times in this Champions League group stage, that they, they, not necessarily the way they were playing, but the fact that that they got carried away. Like, I remember the 3-2 at home against Porto where they were fantastic and they could have won this game by 5-6-2, right? but then they let this result slip away, and then they lost the the um, away leg in Porto's 3-1, and then the head-to-head was gone, which basically meant on this match day six, and it was a really odd feeling, because you could sense in the stadium, as Porto was beating up on AS Monaco, that on the field, the players must have felt it, right? That they basically, it didn't matter what they were doing against the Sixers on the field. They, they, were, they lost the group, and they lost the group because of, a bad result in Porto, which was completely unnecessary. So I think this is something that, if they can figure this out over the winter, I think there's a very good chance that they can go very far in the Europa League. And I think the Europa League, as you said, is going to be a fantastic competition. And uh, because of all the teams that have dropped down, just to name a few, is Atletico, uh, Borussia Dortmund, right, Arsenal are already there. It's, it's going to be a fun competition come the spring. And I think um, Leipzig is going to be an interesting team. And Maybe not a favorite, but one of the teams as kind of an outlier that could win it. And I mean, John, when you when you see them play, I think no European team would be happy to go there um, in the Europa League.
1: Yeah, I think they're a bit of an unknown quantity, and I think that ties into what you were saying before about the fact that the it's it's often missed the fact that RB Leipzig just rose into prominence from nowhere. I mean, nine nine years ago they were what eight. Tier of German football, and as you said, what's most interesting about that is that you know you do have to develop the ability to play um, European football. You have to learn how to do that. And I remember having read having read various pieces on someone like Sir Alex Ferguson. One of the reasons why he was such a great coach was precisely because he he did learn from going to Europe. He he took his time um, and and eventually got there with with the Champions League. And I think that for Hasenhutl to recognize that, you know, the different format that, that Europe offers, the way that you have to balance off your European side against your domestic duties, I think that you're right to say that's a very, very mature thing, uh, a, a mature approach to have. And I think it will be good to, for him to have another year of, of, of working out how to get that balance right. I also think, you know, obviously, I'll be like a very controversial side. If Hasenhuttle was doing what he was doing at a different club, I think he'd be lauded for it, um, almost around Europe. And he's a little bit unlucky insofar as he, what he's actually doing at, at Leipzig is very exciting. Um, he, especially this, the, the fact that, despite the fact that, um, Leipzig have huge amounts of money available to them, they still have this policy with respect to under 23 players that they bring into the side, uh, and, and an exciting style of play that you, you don't often see clubs who have money to burn uh, adopting so i think it'll be it'll be exciting to see how how that playing style develops in the next year it'd be excited to see how they do in europa league this time round and as you've said they're probably going to be in the champions league next season it'll be exciting to see what lessons uh, hasenhutter has learned and i think he'll be all the better for keeping his job uh, a year longer and i wonder whether or not uh, coaches like perhaps nagelsmann and let's wait and see what happens with Tedesco. But these coaches just spending their time, putting their uh, hard yards in and, um, and, and, making, making it, making themselves aware of the fact that you don't just sort of fall into these big jobs and, and have success. You have to put a, a huge amount of effort in.
2: Yeah. I think you, you point out a quite a lot of things there that are bang on. I think the one thing maybe to add to the whole Leipzig not spending as much as they could is. Big reason for that is that unlike PSG, RB is actually keeping within financial fair play, right? Um, that's, Ragnick has been quite outspoken on that, that if there wasn't any financial fair play restrictions on RB Leipzig, they would be doing things maybe a little bit more. They would probably be spending a bit more money than they they currently do, but because there is uh, restrictions on RB Leipzig, they had, that's also one of the reasons they lost Kata because they couldn't offer Kata as much money as they would have maybe liked to because financial fair play, restrictions are actually kept in Leipzig, whereas a team like PSG, they don't seem to really care. But that's an, maybe an interesting topic on the side. I want to point out, this is, this is something that was a really big topic, not just in Leipzig, but I was in Leipzig, so this is where I really noticed it. And uh, we had a big debate on VER on our WhatsApp chat, uh, so I want to really talk about this too. In Leipzig, there was a couple of controversial situations with VER, and I um, it used three times. Um, once, once bring back a free kick um, after um, after a foul situation just outside the box that the VAR uh, reviewed to determine whether it was a penalty or not, and then actually brought it back for a free kick for mine, which then turned into the equalizing goal. Um, there was a, then a VAR situation. review the the life penalty and then there was a non-VER situation towards the end where Timo Werner got stomped on his foot and actually had a hole in his shoe and the referee decided not to review it. Now John I know you have a very strong opinion about VAR so I'm gonna start with you on this.
1: What's, What's the question? We can get anything delivered
2: from furniture to toilet paper and now adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Well, my question really is, the way it's almost used right now is, is it taking, is our referees in the Bundesliga almost too reliant on it, in a sense, because this is the sense I get, that they're almost too afraid to make their own decisions when it comes to what they see on the field. The, the first thing that you always hear is, or see is when they put their hand onto their, their microphone, right, or their headset, rather, and I almost wonder is, are referees becoming too reliant on the system? I mean, VAR, I personally am for VAR, but I think um, in the end of the day, it's supposed to be the referee on the field making the decision.
1: Yeah, I think the way that I approach this, this question is, what, what, why is it the case that we are even talking about VAR? Why do we need VAR? And I think to answer that question, you need to sort of go right back and ask, what, what's the point of having referees on the field? And I think there's there's two main reasons why we have referees on the field. One of them is that they obviously adjudicate uh, the game as it's going along. And if something that's unfair happens, they stop the game and, and they give punishment regard- uh, r- regarding how they think that should go. The other thing is, is and, and I think something that a lot of people forget, is that referees are also there to just keep the game ticking over. There has to be some form of authority there so that everyone is accepting the fact that um, there's a, a sort of context, a shared context in which the game can happen. So you think, well, we're going to play the game this way because we know there's someone there who is going to make these decisions so that, um, should something go wrong, then they can make that decision. So I mean, there's two different things there. And the reason why we want VAR is because sometimes things happen that are just entirely unjust. Um, and you don't want those things to happen. You don't want a game to be ruined by a call that's obviously bogus. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I think everyone. Pretty much is in agreement that those things shouldn't happen, and VAR should be used in order to stop those things happening. The problem is is that as soon as you start introducing something like VAR to to take care of those those big match changing moments, they start creeping into into the into the other side of things and and then, as you've said, the referee starts doubting themselves they think, well, if this could be possibly wrong, then what's to stop this being possibly wrong and so what you start then doing is I think once referees become, like you said, too too reliant on it. Uh, they also become, they start second-guessing themselves. And this gets talked about enough in discussions about VAR, which is when they, obviously refereeing is, is done the majority of the time. You have to sort of make intelligent guesses. You have to say, everything that I could, I've seen from this scenario makes it look like a foul to me. So even if you're not entirely sure what you're doing there is you're, you're sort of speculating a little bit. And as soon as you, en- you enter something like VAR into the equation, and it becomes a lot harder to to judge. So I think I'm all for VAR in in that scenario where you maybe give each each team a couple of uh, of challenges, as you do in say NFL, where if they feel as though something unfair has happened, they can then flag it up and say we're going to we want to have that reviewed that scenario. Um, but I think other than that, it just it it does slow down the game. it, it affects the referee's ability to. Properly adjudicate and it also raises questions about the authority of the referee on the field in such a way that you sort of lose that, that context that you need in order to, to be able to run, have the game running smoothly. So, yeah, I think that the, as from what I've seen in the Bundesliga, they've really not handled it very well and they need they need to sort of have a root and branch uh, return and ask the question, what are we doing wrong here?
2: No, Chris, um, we had the MLS Cup final um, and Major League Soccer has its critics, of course. You know, people looked down on it at times, but we had two VAR decisions made during that final without anyone in the stadium ever noticing because it was done so quick that they, they looked at it so quick and in the flow of the moment just basically made the decisions and gave the referee the all clear. And then most of the time, the referee basically handled all the decisions on the field himself. Is that how we want VAR to happen? It has to be instant, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it doesn't. I thought it would be instant, to be honest, because there are footages available instantaneously, isn't it? And whoever is in charge in Cologne will see that and should be able to make the judgment there and then. I think the problem we have with VAR is it almost becomes like a mother's meeting at one point, isn't it, where they, they all stand around and there's, there's a couple of them in Cologne and they're looking at the screen and then there's the referee on the pitch going, oh, I don't really know. And then he goes over and has a look on the screen and then they have another little bit of a bit more of a talk. It doesn't seem as complicated in any other sports. If you look at rugby, it certainly doesn't seem as complicated. Um, tennis is obviously, tennis has, uh, different aspects of EAR as the, the line calls and the judges, which is a little similar to the, um, goal line technology, but the calls are done instantaneously. So if we look at the goal line technology, it's straight to the referee. If the referee's got an extra watch on, it, straight to that watch and it buzzes there and then whether it's a goal or not. And I'm sure that Uh, VAR can get down to that quick. And it's interesting that you mention the MLS because we know that the MLS is being looked at by Howard Webb, who's had a lot of critics in England. But I think for technical aspects of refereeing, he knows what he's on about and he's gone over there and he's sorted it out. I think maybe the Bundesliga needs someone to go in and have a look at how they're doing it. Uh, Because for me... It, it's worked on occasion, but then it, it's not worked on the majority of occasion, or when it has, it's been far too long. If we look at the um, Gladbach-Schalke game on Saturday, Saturday evening's game, uh, referee Shasha Stegman you didn't seem to have volition in his own convictions, so he he seemed to have it there because it was easy to use, so he went to it. Now, I know they went to it and was it a penalty? It probably was a penalty, but then they noticed that actually there was a foul eight seconds before and we should probably pull it back. And I get that's why VAR's there. It was just a very convoluted way of doing that. But then if you fast forward to um, today's match against um, Cologne and Freiburg with um, Dr. Robert Kamper who's who's refereeing the penalty, you know, he he's getting badgered to go to VAR. He doesn't. He's got a duty of his own conviction. He knows it's a penalty, blows it, points it straight away. And It always seems, when it comes down to referees, it's inconsistency. And I think it's inconsistency of implementing VAR, which is a problem. And because we're all humans and we're all different, we all do things differently, you are going to get inconsistency. But we all had hopes that the technology would stamp out that inconsistency. I think we need to go back to the drawing board a little and where do we use it and when do we not use it. So it needs to be redefined about when it's used. A little like goal line technology can only be used to determine whether the ball's gone over the line or not, it needs to be a little simpler I'm for VAR because I think done properly and done correctly and done time efficiently, it's excellent for the game, but for the last few weeks it's really slowed the game down and And you're seeing calls go to VAR when probably they don't need to and then you see other calls not go to VAR when teams are screaming for them to go so it's this inconsistency, so in short, I think they need to get someone in. Probably not Howard Webb because he's got too many ties to the Bundesliga in his personal life, but I think somebody else of that stature and that ilk could come in and sit down and show them maybe uh, a more refined way of doing it.
2: Yeah, I think maybe to, to wrap this topic out, it was interesting what Ralph Royal was said when the referee, Itraic, it did the not to go to VAR um, on Timo Werner's foul, And he said, well, maybe he's already been on the screen four times today. Maybe he just was too tired to go a fifth time. So, um, you know, this is, this maybe sums it up. Um, the inconsistency and in the fact that it's almost become a bit of a joke that already tells me that in its current form, it's not working. But I'm sure over Christmas, this will be a topic and, uh, something that the, the DFL and the DFB will, will look at changing. Now, speaking of change, Chris, we'll, we'll stay with you because there was a massive change. Maybe the, the the biggest topic in maybe even European football. Borussia Dortmund. They've finally done it. They've let go of Peter Bosch. Now, um, we have to go back a little bit, right? For me personally, I thought he was, it was impossible to keep him after that 4-4 against Schalke. Now, they did give him a lifeline, the Leverkusen, Real Madrid, and Werder Bremen games, and all those three games um, ended more or less in disappointment. In my opinion, insane. Um, they lost 2-1 to Werder Bremen this weekend. Do you think that Dortmund have maybe done this a bit too late? And maybe the another question is um, bringing in Peter Bosch was that maybe a mistake in the first place, given with everything that went on with Thomas Tuchel etc. during the summer?
3: It's an odd one, isn't it? Um, I think like you, that once the 4-4 the end of the 4-4, I think that was the time maybe they should have got rid of him because it's such a big game and everything that had gone before it and to be 4-0 up and then to get pegged back 4-4 by your closest neighbour, your biggest rivals, um, for your fans uh, and for the whole city of Dortmund, I think maybe should have gone then. But let's give them their dues. They did want to turn it around. So they said they'd give him a couple more games and then after the Leverkusen game, uh, Zorc came out on telly, didn't he, on Sky in Germany and said, look, he's the one... We want to try and and make it work with. We want to try and and give him time. We want to come through this dark cloud with him. And I think that has to be applauded because sometimes managers are just sacked left, right and centre when maybe they could have been given just a little more time and you never know what happens. I mean... John made reference to Alex Ferguson earlier on that, famously here in England, he was you know, one match away from being sacked, and he was given that extra time. And Manchester United never looked back and went on and won multiple Premier Leagues and Champions League and uh, FA Cups, etc. So I can see why Borussia Dortmund did want to give him maybe just a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's an unfortunate situation. But after the defeat uh, on Saturday. Verder uh, Bremen it was um, inevitable and, and they moved very quick and was he the right man to go with I'm not sure in, in retrospect now I think when he, was, when he was hired everybody was excited I certainly was because we'd all seen how Ajax had played the season before especially in Europe obviously it's a bit of a it's a bit of a hard one to judge a coach in a league which is a, a little bit lacking in talent and that's you know the Dutch league's n- be nowhere near the levels it was in, in the 90s. And for for him to take uh, that very young guy side all the way to the Europa League final, I think gives an indication that he is a good coach and he knows what he's doing. I just think he's, he was a square peg in a round hole. And Thomas Tuchel, he was going places with Dortmund, but obviously he didn't get on with everybody else. And he certainly didn't get on with some of the players and he certainly didn't get on with the higher management. So... His position became untenable, so it had to be changed. And maybe key was he wanted Lucy and Favre, and Posh was almost a second, wasn't they? Um, or even a third at one point, third choice. So, um, so it's disappointing all round, I think. It's disappointing for him because he, in flashes we've seen he is a good coach, and I'm sure he will go back to um, the Dutch league and he'll get a job and he'll carry on doing the good work he did at Ajax previously. But unfortunately for Borussia Dortmund, I think this was a season... Especially early on, where they were flying in the league, and it looked like they could be serious league challengers, and and that's fallen away over the last eight nine games, doesn't it? Dram- Dramastically, dramatically even, and you know, they've fallen out of the Champions League into Europe now, into Europa League. But Peter Stoger coming in, wow, that's um, that's that's a big move, I think.
2: Yeah, that is a big move. I mean, John made the reference. That's like Slaven Bilic getting the. Chelsea job right after being fired from West Ham um, I guess the Premier League and the Bundesliga are, are not very often comparable because Peter Stöger I think Hans-Joachim Watzke said it very well at the press conference we hired Peter Stöger for what he's done over the entire period at Köln not just for the last few uh, what happened in the last few weeks and I think uh, when you look at Peter Stöger um, there is a lot a lot there that could get Borussia Dortmund at least stabilised for the rest of the season uh, the way he plays, the way he's an emotional leader, a very emotional guy and uh, I think he was a very honest and frank guy, he said like um I, I am really looking forward to go to Dortmund but at the same time I've been at one of the best clubs I've been at the best club in my opinion for for now four years and uh, we still love Köln so it's like really, really open, honest guy Um but it's it's an interesting one because they did talk to Stöger, didn't they, Chris? Um, over the summer, they, Stöger was a candidate, and um, they really quickly realized that Stöger was very much married to Köln, and that's why they didn't go for him. But it almost seems like Stöger became available. The the issue with Bosch continued, so they said, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll go grab Stöger now because all of a sudden he's free."
3: Yeah, and I, I do think that's pretty much it, Manu. They. They tried to get him at the end of last season, but you know, he'd done wonders with Cologne and he was very happy there. And we all thought that they'd have a really good season this coming, or the season that we're in now. We thought they would challenge well in the Europa League, especially with the players they had at the time. Um, and it was, it just wasn't to be. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you that all of a sudden one of their main candidates from the job last season where Atatuka left suddenly becomes available. They have a poor result midweek. On the, on the big scheme of things, and then they have a an exceptionally poor result at home against Werder Bremen and, and enough was enough and the axe came down very quickly. Uh, they must have been talking to him, I would say, maybe sounded him out because you know the decision to replace him with Stoga was made very, very quickly. Interesting that he's been given till the end of the season, so he's not the new permanent indefinite manager, he's just signed a contract to the end of the season, so we'll see where it goes from there, but I think they moved very quickly in order to redress the balance.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one because yeah, as you said, um Watzke uh, at the press conference of course said that well um it's an open decision what's going to happen in the summer so there is there's maybe we will continue Stöger but I think we all know um that that's not true uh, the, the name Julia Nagelsmann is on everyone's lips and uh, there's basically already um, build, I think it was said that it's already a done deal with Nagelsmann coming in in the summer. Uh, so it's pretty much an open secret that that's, that's where it's gonna go with Julian Nagelsmann coming in. Um, John Nagelsmann, the summer of 2018, that means he's not going to Bayern, but he's still going to a big club. Do you think he's ready for a move like that? It's a pretty big step.
1: Yeah, I think it is a big step, and you know, he he obviously had an incredible breakout season last season. This season's been a little bit more hit and miss for, for for Nagelsmann, and it's hard hard to know why. I think we mentioned this on the podcast last week, um, and he seems to be sort of flit, flitting between having good wins and and then losing quite badly. So I, it'll be interesting to see how how that's how that's going to go. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to. For me, it's a, it's a really interesting scenario here. They, they, I think the winners of this scenario are probably BVB because they have the chance to have Bosch, uh, sorry, Sturger for the rest of the season, see how he'll go. And if he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. Um, but then they have this option as well of, of getting Nagelsmann at the end of the season as well. I think the people who are going to lose out here are more likely to be the Coaches than than the than BVB. B- B- um, I I said it before to to you guys in the in the group chat, and I know, uh, you, Mano, you're right to say that I probably compare the English leagues with the German leagues too readily. But this this Stürger move strikes me a little bit as being a uh, being like the, the David Moyes move to Manchester United from Everton, where you've got a similar sort of club, I suppose, to to. Kern in, in Everton uh, becoming a, a fairly solid top division side, getting Europe on a couple of occasions, or a, a single occasion, I guess, in the, in the case of Kern, and then the manager going to a bigger club, uh, and obviously we've seen what happened for for David Moyes, um, so it'd be interesting to see whether or not Stöger goes the same way. I think it's really it's really hard to actually keep your career going. Uh, necessarily, I don't think coaches are sort of, being a good coach is necessarily an innate thing. It's not that you have a coach who's good and then it will always work for them wherever they go. I think certain coaches work well in certain clubs, and it it may not be the case that Stürger works well in 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 BVB. Um, and if it doesn't work well for him, then the question will be, how's it going to work well for him next? So it could be the case that he uh, disappears um from, from the limelight a little bit after his move to, to um B V B. Same is true, I guess, with Nagelsmann. It'll be interesting to see um how, how he fits in. I know that he's obviously he's obviously highly regarded. He did well um in the in the, the training systems that the Germans have for their coaches. Um so I suspect that he will probably slot into the club and, and do quite well. Um so I I for one want to see both of them do well. Um, But I I certainly think that BVB are the winners here. They get the chance to have two coaches and um, if anything goes wrong, pretty much, they can sort themselves out.
3: I think, Manu, with Nagelsmann, Dortmund will get something as close to Klopp as they could possibly hope for. We all know that Jurgen Klopp was just a whirlwind um, when he came into Dortmund from Mainz and what he did and his passion on the side. And you see that from... Um, Nagelsmann, you see it from the side when he is um coaching at Hoffenheim. You see how into it he gets. I was there for the first match of the season Um in, in the arena at Hoffenheim and he was just pacing up and down and he was kicking every ball. He's almost a little bit like um, Diego Simeone, maybe not as passionate as Diego Simeone. But Nagelsmann's there, he's talking to his players, hand signals, gesturing. He's in the fourth official's ear, he's in the linesman's ear. Um, he's doing really, really well. And he's just he just gets that and I think he would be an excellent um excellent manager or head coach at Dortmund and if that's the way they want to go, I think it'll be not a minute too soon for them. But so everything he does on the side the way he um the way he gets across his emotions and he could almost be like a mini clock, John. How do you think that would go down well at Dortmund?
1: Yeah, I think it'd probably go down quite well. Obviously, um, I'm just reading through Rafa Honigstein's, um, biography at the moment. And that's what I love so much about Klopp is that, is that, um, the way that he is, he does come across uh, as human. And I guess most people will have seen that, um, interview that he gave today after the Merseyside derby. And I think, um, the majority of sports fans really, really appreciate that kind of human element to a, to a coach. And I think, you know, Klopp going to Dortmund from Mainz. I think that was a genius stroke on the part of of Vazquez. Um And so, for me, I think it was it was really Im, Im, it'll be really interesting to see if if um, Nagelsmann can fit into that whole uh, approach. Because obviously, you hear all of these stories about Klopp. You know, going to visit the grandparents or the grandmothers of of, of people working at the club just to say hello, and and that. That whole approach breeds a particular approach to um, a, a, a club's entire sort of context. It allows you to um, it allows you to um, develop your tactics and your ideologies in a in a more holistic way. And I think that's what club has got down so well. So that when you start having results that don't work, when things don't go your way, you don't start becoming reactive and saying, "Well, we haven't won this game, so let's let's change this quickly." Um, you, what you do is you say, well, this is all part of a broader approach. Um, and, and we don't, we don't just react to things. We have a project. We, we, we have patience, et etc. et cetera. So, yeah, I think it'll be good to see how, how Nagelsman can fill, fill in the, in those boots that Klopp has obviously still left behind him, despite the fact he's been gone for so long.
2: Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting topic, guys. And I think once we, we get the confirmation of, Nagelsmann, um, because we haven't actually got it confirmed yet. I think it, it's, it's one of those open secrets that no one really wants to talk about. It's something that we definitely want to revisit, but, um, interesting times in Dortmund. I think Stöger has his work cut out. There's, there's a piece up on Fußballstadt.com and what he will have to do next and the challenges that are facing him. And I think, um, he will really need the winter break to sort things out. Um, there's a game, of course, midweek for Borussia Dortmund. Um, maybe not enough time to really see his handwriting. So I, I'm really curious to see what he will do over the winter break. And I think that there, there's rumors of them signing a defender, someone like Akanji from, um, FC Basel. So yeah, and very interesting sites at both the Dortmund and, um, it's a story that we're going to keep tracking, um, over the next few weeks. But guys, I want to go over to the Europa League and, uh, Köln, of course, one of these three sites that dropped out of the, Europa League and uh, overall not a great season. I mean, John, we talk many times about how this this has been a very poor European season for the Bundesliga side. So it has been actually the poorest Euro, uh, European season since 1983. And um, there is some indication that this is a blip, mostly because the teams that we sent weren't very good and they all struggled with their own really personal stories. And I, I was at the Hertha game um, on Thursday and um Thought that this had the side. Maybe this was a step too early for them getting into Europe. And I think, um, the, really the only positive coming out of this, of this story is that, um, they tried, um uh, uh, Paul Dardai actually feel Jürgen Klinsmann's son, Jonathan Klinsmann. And, um, uh, Jonathan actually spoke to us 30 seconds, uh, spoke with us uh, for five minutes after the game. So yeah, this is what he had to say.
0: First game, first count. Is that a perfect debut? I would think so. so. You know, it's, it, getting, the, getting the point is also very important and it's just to finish Europe, you know, the Europa League a little bit stronger, I thought that was also very important, um, yeah, I thought we played well, I thought the goal was unlucky, you know, it deflected, but um, we came back, we got the 1-1 almost right away and then, you know, obviously the, the penalty save is something I'll remember for a long time. Did you hear the news that Max is already giving out a dinner for you? <laughs> yeah, he told me right after you, yeah. You don't believe it? No, I believe it. I believe him. Yeah. <laughs> Depends for screaming your name. Um, after the penalty and after the game, it's like like a dream, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I could have imagined that uh, before the game. You know, it's it's something you always you always dream about having fans, and, and for it to happen today, it's unbelievable. And, uh, how was? Uh, when did Paul tell you uh, when that you were supposed to? A couple, a couple of days ago in practice. Um, a couple of days. Ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember yesterday. Um, but Thomas went out ill, um, and they wanted to rush a still. And he came to me and he said, "You know, you're, you're going to be you're going to be in the starting eleven. Yeah, yeah. So how much so, did you? How much sleep did you? Well, last, <laughs> night, last night I didn't get any sleep, uh but uh, I, I took a nap before the game and I thought that saved me. So okay. yeah. Um, um come, okay. A couple of weeks ago you had some problems um, with an injury. Yeah, yeah. No, I I had a problem with my left knee, just patella saying it. Um, yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. too serious. They just you know, they wanted to make sure I was okay, you know, they didn't wanted me to come back and stay okay. instead of coming back and, you know, being out again after a month. Um and so I went out, you know, I did mostly rehab, strengthening the knee, making sure you know I do come back stronger. And then you know after that month, I started to get back in training, and then you know slowly get my games go on the second team. You know. It was like a basic program. No, it was more this specialized towards towards the knee, towards the knee and the ankles. Um, yeah just to make sure I come back and I'm I'm good to go after you know, a while I thought that you needed to catch up physically you know, to do to, too oh, I'd say I think I did too um, but then you know, on yeah I mean I had problems you know after a while with my knee and I think maybe that was a, a You know, something that that I could have worked on before. Um, But then, you know, getting it, getting the news, you know, it kind of like made me realize, you know. Um, And then in Reha, I went 100%. I wanted to get back on the field right away. You know, because being being injured, it sucks. So, um, yeah, just, just get back on the field as soon as possible, but as strong as possible as well. And you know, I think that, that helped me a lot. Was your father today in the stadium or where did he go No, you uh-uh. it? it was it was it was a little it was a little too um, actually. Yeah, sure. So yeah. okay. yeah, he texted think, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I called them, uh, mm-hmm. asked for advice and stuff like that. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, where, where was uh, your father today? He's back on game, Okay. Yeah, with my mom and my he, sister watching he, the game. Okay. Uh, nice. well, what tips did he uh, give you? just to play your game, you know, because he, he realized I would be nervous, and you know, he, was, he was right, um, and he just said, look, they, they got you here for a reason, and, you know, they, they trust you right now, you know, because what you've been doing in practice, otherwise they wouldn't put you in the game, and, you know, that, that kind of calmed me down a lot, and helped me out. So. Does it make, give you more appetite to get more games? Oh, definitely, definitely, I mean, that's, that, that was my goal coming here, um, to play you know whether it be in the second team and then slowly we me up, 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 up to, the, to the first team you know and i think i had a, a good start today so see so what happens so it's also realistic that you are in the squad for the game in Augsburg, um first time I'm, I'm not sure um it depends on how thomas is um, hopefully it gets better soon but you know we'll from the six months for you and are almost over. Uh, it's Christmas, uh, you think you've and learned uh, a lot the last couple of months. Yeah, definitely, definitely, um, physically, mentally, and soccer-wise, uh, crazy amount. You know, coming from coming from college, you know, it was it was good. I had the bridge the U twenty national team. I had a lot of good good voices talking to me. Brad Friedel was one of them, helped me a lot. Um, but coming coming from college soccer to Bundesliga is obviously a big big step. And you know, I think the first, the first month it was me, you know, really like trying to trying to impress the guys and stuff like that and then after that, you know, the consistency and stuff like that, it was hard because, you know, I wasn't used to it. Um, but then after a while, you know, I started to get my rhythm, you know, after the injury also didn't, didn't really help but, you know, after that, it was started to feel good and I'm starting to feel really good and, you know, Berlin's a great city so I'm just sorry about that. <laughs> but the, the team atmosphere is, is
2: really good, yeah. How's the language coming?
0: good good yeah yeah. I mean if I wanted to maybe I could I could do this in German you know um, but but it's it's you know I understand almost everything now it's just the trusting myself to find certain words at certain times um, yeah it's, it's it's getting it's getting a lot better though yeah. all right awesome thank you thank you.
2: So yeah, Chris, guy from US college making the way over to Germany, finally having his first game. What do you think is his chances of really getting Bundesliga action? I mean, he's more or less still the third string keeper, but um, with his, I mean, his having a famous dad like he does is a positive, but also a negative, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is because he'll be constantly compared to his dad, um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, if you look at um, over here in England. See Peter Schmeichel, very famous uh, goalkeeper. Uh, his son Casper Schmeichel done pretty well for himself. So I'm sure um, Klinsman Junior can do can do very well. But it's just another instance of uh, someone who was brought up in the American circle, who's come into the Bundesliga and started to play good football. And um, I spoke to Sirius Radio a couple of weeks ago and said, there's just something about American um, I mean, they call it high school and college sports, is not it? That's just a little bit more competitive than what we have over here in Europe. And I think it breeds a more competitive athlete. So um, I'm not shocked to see the likes of Christian Pulisic come through and you know the other um, American players that are playing in the Bundesliga. Because I think it's just the, the grounding they get in America makes them just a little bit more competitive and that breeds through. So it'll be interesting to see if he can make a full start at Hertha Berlin or if he moves on somewhere else. But I think for him must be a really nice occasion and even more so for his dad.
2: Yeah, he he made a, an amazing diving save to, to stop Oesterson's penalty uh, in his debut in the first ever game for Hertha uh, on the professional level. Um, of course, there was a tweet after from Hertha saying he got the diving <laughs> skills from his dad. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not the nicest thing in the world to say. But, uh, I mean, uh, John, is it almost a, a benefit for him to play on a different position than his father did?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. Um, you, you know, I think especially the fact that he's there, being an outfield player and being a goalkeeper, I think it will, it will really mean that he's got no comparisons to be made, really. I guess, unless he goes on to start playing, uh, in, in the big leagues and then maybe even internationally, it will be comparisons with respect to how many, how much game time they get. But I think he, he'll be much better off for, for being a goalkeeper rather than an outfield player.
2: The other big question is, of course, he's playing for the US, right? So the, the, the spotlight was big when, when I asked him questions, there was about six or seven reporters standing around me asking him questions as well. And this is just his first game. Uh, I can only imagine what will happen when he gets his first Bundesliga start, but I think, um, maybe not being right away thrown into the German national team mix is probably, is probably a benefit. Now, guys, I think we're almost out of time, but, um, there's, there's a question that is, that was brought up by, Raphael Honigstein, and he he basically said in one of the podcasts that he does that um, there's a title challenge this year in the Bundesliga. Now, uh, this is, of course, a hotly debated topic among all of us, really. John, do the likes of Leipzig, Gladbach, Schalke, can they really challenge Bayern for the title?
1: Yeah, I think they can. I think that this Bayern team are they are beatable we've seen that we've seen that they're beatable on the hankers as well it's not just a simply a, a shadow of the of the ancelotti um era that there are teams that are being are able to beat them and and the question is whether or not the clubs below them can actually stand up and 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 get get the results that they need for me obviously being a gladbach fan what's been frustrating in the last week or so has been the fact that uh, gladbach have had chances where they could have caught up and they've just fallen away in those. So for, for me, the the issue isn't whether or not um, Bayern are, are beatable. The issue is whether or not any of those clubs below them, be it Leipzig, be it Schalke, be it Gladbach, even Leverkusen now coming into the mix, can they have a suspended, a, a, an extended run that long enough that actually allows them to be uh, closing down that gap at the, at the top, which is currently at eight points. So I think if, 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 one of those clubs were to catch them up, they would have to have a very long run going towards the end of the season of of, of wins. Um, so I think theoretically it's possible, uh, but in all probability, I can't see Bayern dropping that many points in 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 succession with someone matching it with a with a w- run of wins.
2: Yeah, maybe my my final thoughts on that. I think that Bayern are a lot more beatable this season than they were in last few seasons. But I think that the pack behind them. Um, is not consistent enough. I think Dortmund would have been that natural challenge. And I think if Dortmund had cut their run that they had in the beginning of the season, they would have probably won the title this year. It's just that um unfortunately in a year where Bayern have an off-year, Dortmund have as well. And the, the teams behind them, the Leipzig, Leipzig is just not mature enough yet. And I think Gladbach and Schalke, um are, are, there's something growing there but I don't think they're quite ready yet so I unfortunately have to concede this but I don't think there's going to be much of a title challenge there. Yeah, John uh, unfortunately we're out of time but let people know what have you been up to uh, where can people find you uh, floor is yours
1: Well well at the moment I'm just mainly I'm doing lots of writing stuff. I write most days for for real sports, so uh, you can find me over there. but the best place to get all of my stuff is my Twitter account. My Twitter account is at John underscore Mackenzie, and there's no h in the John and there's an A between the M and the C in McKenzie. so I've done well to have one of the least memorable names in 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 social media terms
2: so. <laughs> well at least they're easy to find. but uh Chris, how about you? What have you been up to?
3: Uh, So, well, obviously, you can read my uh, match reports from the European games there on um, Football Grad and Footballstadt, And then next week, um, I will be in Germany for um, Stuttgart against Bayern and also having some Christmas market fun in Freiburg.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a good time. Christmas markets are on full swing, I tell you. I've been to many, many, many Christmas markets in many, many different cities over the last few weeks. But, yeah, you can find me uh, at ManuelWeft and of course all the work at football grad life as chris mentioned and um also of course guys if you like the podcast or any of the podcasts we do please head over to itunes give us a rating it really helps us grow and um expand our brand well that's it from us this week um until next week auf wiedersehen
0: Ich war seit
1: Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz' vor Freude über den Asphalt. als wär's ein Rhythmus als gäb's ein Lied das mich immer
0: weiter durch die Straßen zieht komm dir entgegen ich hab zu holen
1: one gift that never gets returned trick question it's three gifts beer wine and spirits and with drizzly you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors
2: drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer wine and holiday spirits then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes and right now drizzly is giving customers five dollars off their first order just enter promo code jingle at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's Drizl Y.com.
3: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.